It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats for the week ending Friday the 8th of December, a show where we get challenged. We do get challenged, actually. Actually, on this episode, we do. By our very great guest jason pack at the end absolutely he didn't like everything we said about kissinger but anyway formidable force we'll come to that what did we talk about what should we call this episode well i think uh, you know we the the first thing we came to really was the total utter implosion of the british government yes again sort of a breakdown wasn't it it was a bit ah, well yes maybe we should sunak the breakdown sunak the breakdown sunak the breakdown okay so this is the two mats episode 25 sunak the breakdown enjoy enjoy So, Matt, what are we going to talk about this week? Because there's very little stuff to Not talk much about this week. I've been a bit quiet this week. I yeah. was struggling as I was on my way in. Um, it, look, it, it, it's... What a day. Episode 97,000 of the slow implosion of the Tory party. But it's funny because, you know, as I expect listeners think you know we and it's true we during the days before we record this we're recording this on thursday we tend to sort of whatsapp each other and you think right this is going to be the subject yeah and this week we've gone from boris johnson at the covid inquiry to the prime minister calling an emergency press conference yeah. to snap at the press about his disastrous rwanda policy i mean in the last 24 hours yeah just that we had as you say johnson at the um at, at COVID. the covid being interrogated not very effectively i thought by hugo keith casey but we can talk about that we then went into oh suella braverman's making a big statement sitting in yes jeffrey howe's seat in the in the uh, house of commons big symbolism big and and that was a bit of an anti-climax i think that everybody was. thought everyone was going to jump then we have robert jenrick saying that this fascist bill isn't fascist enough for me mate, yes and resigning and then we have uh, Rishi Sunak coming out and doing this uh, podium thing, which struck me, and I, we tweeted it. I honestly thought it looked like a guy having a breakdown. Well, and, and in between, we had um, Swella Braverman having a sort of round two on the Today Programme. On the program. Today Programme, with, so Nick, have, with Sir Nick, who we, we did so brilliantly. Nick, yeah. Nick Robinson. Should we have, yeah. uh, if producer Ollie can play us that clip? There's a team of lawyers in the star chamber, independent lawyers who are going to be scrutinising this. They will be providing some important conclusions very, very soon. I think we have to all read those conclusions carefully. If he doesn't change, should he remain leader of your party? Listen, no one's talking about 
leadership or changing leadership. Forgive me, that's, that's nonsense and you know it's we, nonsense. People are talking about changing the leadership. You know they are and I suggest to you that you've had meetings to discuss it as well. So I'm going to ask you again, if he doesn't do what you demand, will you plot against him to remove him as leader of the Conservative Party? I want the Prime Minister to succeed in stopping the boats. So, you know, there you can see you've got a former Home Secretary yeah. who actually got Sunak the job in October by backing him, yeah. uh, refusing to say that he's going to be Prime Minister in the next election. So, yeah. Yeah, unbelievably, around Westminster today, Thursday, there are MPs, Conservative MPs, talking about another leadership contest. Hooray! I don't think there will be one. But the fact that it's an issue, the fact that you have... Rishi Sunak at the 1922 Committee of Backbenchers on, on Wednesday evening saying unite or die, a phrase immortalised by Ian Duncan Smith, <laughs> you know, another successful Tory leader. There's a kind of um, incremental collapse to this. Yeah. Actually, it's beyond incremental now, I think. Well, it's, it's, I mean, Nick Robinson, big shout out to him. because I, no, he, yeah, I mean, And a brilliantly delivered kind of monologue, it's been described, as where he, he basically goes through the litany of divisive politics that Suella Braverman has been yes. perpetrating for the last however long and then just says you know you're a headline grabber who who works best in in yeah. creating poison don't you and that's and, and exactly she, her nail and she she didn't really deny it I no, mean, she's, she, <laughs> she's proud of the fact that she, you know she always says she's a plain speaker which is you know the sort of yeah. the euphemism now I mean I find it amazing having written about the Conservatives for a fair number of years now. That that the arg the big argument in the Conservative Party at the moment is between how illegal they want to be. Yeah. You know, you've got the Prime Minister saying this bill will be pretty illegal as far as the ECHR, the European Convention on Human yeah. Rights, is concerned. To the extent that on the front of the bill, on the face of the bill, there has to be and is a disclaimer by James Cleverly, the Home Secretary, saying. I can't guarantee that this is consistent with yeah. international law. Yeah. But that's not enough. That was It's because it's not, it doesn't go far enough in uh, renouncing our obligations to charters and, and international rules, international law, yeah. that you have Braverman, now a free-range kind of Exocet missile, and Jenrick, Robert Jenrick, who was twice uh, Rishi Sunak's backer in leadership contests, resigning with a very long and damning letter. And the challenge is actually more specific than just the umbrella of international yes. law, isn't it? The actual challenge that they're dealing with and which Sunak was was wrestling with throughout that bizarre press conference was the fact, and this is the fact which should make all British people feel slightly ashamed today, was the fact that they've got to make it good enough for Rwanda. Rwanda is the force that's saying it's we need to abide by this law, otherwise we're not playing ball. You, you have this incredible thing that Sunak, on the one hand, there's a handful of One Nation Tories yeah. saying we're actually not keen on this breaking international law stuff. And then, as you say, the Rwandan government saying, hang on a minute, you know, we've got our reputation to think of. Yes. You know, we can't. Yeah. It's, it's already been soiled dealing with the, with the United Kingdom, but we're yeah, not going to go I mean, that far. The, the, yeah. the, I mean, we are, we are in, the, in this relationship with the, the Rwanda, we are the people who are threatening the the international yeah. rules based order. order. And we're going to talk later with Jason Pack a about great guest just about that, order, about know? all yeah. that. And yeah. and the Conservative Party, which for so long was obsessed by the rule of law, law and order, has consigned that along with so much else. And I think there's, there's so much going on here. I mean, one of the things is that you've seen Sunak first of all try and reinvent himself as the change candidate at the party conference which was 
hilarious and ridiculous. Then there was the autumn statement, which was, here's some tax cuts and some uh, bashing of welfare claimants. Will that do? Yeah. Didn't move the polls at all. And now they've come become really a single issue campaign yeah. uh, around migration and, and uh, illegal I- immigration. The truth is that it's a terrible subject to choose if you're going to be a single issue party because it's very very complicated and this pretense that all they need to do is pass enough laws forge enough treaties shout enough at the judges it it, by obviously it's sensitive it's nuanced it's complex um there needs to be a lot more resourcing into you know the dealing of cases and so on i mean that wouldn't do any harm but what you are seeing here is the the eternal problem of populist governments which is trying to find simple solutions to complex problems and surprise surprise (laughs) there aren't any why has he bet the entire farm on this on on this policy for to to export people to rwanda i i think and i have thought for a long time that he's a very bad politician yeah and i think that um although he is not a uh an instinctive culture warrior he it can never be said often enough that during the first leadership contest of 2022 uh in july he said his only disagreement with the rwanda policy was it didn't go far enough and he clearly thought right i've got to you know my primary job will be to stabilize the economy but i'm going to fight culture wars as on the side because i'm mindful of the red wall coalition and all these rather sort of vague terms actually um and i think he just made a decision that stop the boats was um his it used to be referred to as plan b you know yeah. uh, alongside the economy and it's become more and more his fixation um and actually it's it's a very poor basis for a re-election campaign because uh, you know there is there is a whole spectrum of views on on migration policy but it you know it's not the main issue at the moment people are worried about cost of living they're worried about putting food on the table rent they're worried about the cost of fuel the boats are not what yeah. people are talking about. And it's not even as... I mean, the boats won't stop completely just because no, they're of the policy. So, I mean, it's worth kind of just reminding the supposed logic, the rationale behind the Rwanda thing is that it'll put the people in Calais yes. off coming. Well, the people in Calais and the 122,000 people that are, are waiting to be currently processed by the Home Office, 122,000 people waiting to be processed, right? They not all of them are going to say, "Oh, right, the hell with that." So they'll that won't completely stop the boats. The number of people will be able to ship off to Rwanda, even if they make this thing work, and the Rwandans say, "Well, okay, we'll take the money." In the hundreds, we'll, at the we'll, most, a couple of hundred people. Yes, as someone said on Twitter, it's a rounding error. It's, you know, it's, it's of no consequence no. whatsoever. And yet he has made this the totemic policy that he has made this the hill he is going to die on. It's, it's an inc- and he will die on it. I know. I mean, it, it's. In my view, this 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 is it. This is it. I mean, it, it's, I think it's been over for a long time. But these few days have represented just the movement when we've the moment when we've gone from moribund to to dead. I just can't think of anything in my lifetime of such small consequence, of such insignificance in in the great scheme of things. Even when you're putting it in the context of of tackling something they've decided is the big the big issue of the time i can't think of anything of that such small consequence that a prime minister has decided to to make the thing that he is going to well it's a symbol of a symbol of a symbol isn't it yeah because it it starts with um brexit 
sovereignty, you know, our rights as a nation, border control. And then it moves to um, illegal immigration and uh, people traffickers and the boats and the gangs and, and stopping that. And then it moves to um, this very complex business of, of flying people off to another country and yeah. you choose Rwanda for that which brings with it all sorts of yeah. obvious problems um, and you say right that's the thing that you know judge me on yeah. and he, although it was very interesting that he will not make this a confidence vote no, well he's exactly clearly, so he's, he's, clearly, bo- he's bottled that he's bottled yeah. that which is very telling isn't it, it is very telling and I think that what you're seeing now is it's just a question of how long and how so so listen Matt you're in um Rishi Sunak's communications team, he isn't, I'm postulating here. He's had the day of days today, everything's at rock bottom. What should he do now the to only- salvage something? Okay, if I was advising him, and thank God I'm not, but I would say call an election. Yeah. Because his government is now morally bust. Um, and if it drags on for another almost year, everything will be worse by then. Um, the economy might be a bit better, but no thanks to anything that's being done by the government. And already you're seeing a, uh, a kind of barely concealed leadership contest going on. So you've got Boris Johnson desperately trying at the COVID inquiry to salvage his, what's left of his reputation. You had uh, Braverman posturing, um, making her campaign launch a couple of times. You had Kemi Badnock mm. making a very sort of a robust intervention in the House about gender policy yesterday. And she, and, by the way, say, worth pausing, I think she, of all of those candidates, we exchanged WhatsApps, she's she's the one that looks the most adult in the room to me. Well, she may be. I mean, I think that she's got a very good chance of winning, which mm. is not inconsistent with what you just said. Yeah. Um, but and then to finish the uh, the, the quartet, um, you had uh, Robert Jenrick resigning. Yeah. And Jed Jenrick, uh, extraordinarily and amazingly, um, because his nickname around Westminster is generic because of his capacity to... Um, it fancies himself as a leadership contender. I mean, you, you'll be yeah. amazed by... Well, who, obviously, who if stands. Robert Jenrick is the answer to the to, to Britain, yeah. we, we, we should all pack up and emigrate No, ourselves. absolutely. And I think that... Is there is there not, you know, to use that old Frank Commode phrase, a sense of an ending about all this? Yeah. You know, that it's it's it's... Pathetic to watch a the government of a you know the sixth wealthiest nation on earth yeah. implode over something so bloody stupid and no and nothing no like you know what's the, the prize the, the, abs- the, the utter absence of any progress anywhere what, what's what is the great prize at the end of this that uh, you know all this hot air and tetchiness and fury and posturing and bogus culture wars what's the great dividend going to be and we all know that even if let's say, just as a hypothetical, all of the things that he says are in the bill operate. Even then, as you say, the numbers that they can send to Rwanda in the next year will be in the hundreds. It's it's of no it, consequence It's of no anybody. consequence. It's all performative. Yeah. And I, I think that is the most worrying thing about it because, we, you know, for all the reasons that we discuss every week on the podcast, there are huge challenges facing this country. Yeah. The, the p- performative politics that has dominated politics since Brexit has got to stop. And yeah. this is sort of task number one for Labour, really, if they get yeah. in. There was a great tweet, I thought, by Zoe Gardner, who's, who's somebody I've admired for a long time, who's very, very strong on this immigration and asylum 
challenge. And she said, you know, if you, if you look at the, the one thing, they say they've exhausted everything. You know, they've exhausted everything. And this is now, you know, this is they're throwing the kitchen sink at it. But the one thing they haven't offered to do is provide a simple, safe route for people in Calais yes. to come over and to process them quickly and humanely and then to have a, an actual structure to what could happen to them beyond. They haven't even tried to do that. And we all know that this is going to become more of an issue rather than less. You know, climate change alone is going to make population mobility more of a story in the coming decades. So we need systems that work, not just kind of... um, a supposed deterrence yeah. and it's interesting if you talk to people who, are, who know about deterrence psychology the thing about deterrence is unless they are vis- they visibly work they make the system worse right right so the idea that people in Calais who have gone through hell probably to get yeah. there yeah hear that they're going to be sent to Rwanda and here on the grapevine that no one has been sent to Rwanda it will actually make them more yeah enthusiastic to have a go to get over because they'll think this is a joke government of course and they'd be right of course and they are right of course they are it is utterly utterly depressing but there we go let's um take a quick break there and when we come back we're going to talk to the super uh jason pack who is an a wise man expert on the middle east has got some really really uh great things to say about how that problem may play out and may actually improve one of these days which as they say as nathan darby would say wise opinions wise opinions coming in part two (laughs) folks stay tuned thank you for listening to the two mats and if you like the kind of conversations we have here there are loads more to be had in print and online at the new european Uh, and i have got a very special offer for all listeners of the two mats we are giving away copies of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023, which is a book we're publishing this month. Uh, It's a fantastic diary full of everything that's happened, all the people he's met, and anybody who's uh, a fan of Alistair Campbell's Diaries over the years know how brilliantly he turns them out. He is very much a latter-day Samuel Pepys. He really is. He is. So you can get a free copy of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023, worth £20 when you subscribe to The New European from as little as £1 a week. Or if you like getting the newspaper delivered to your door every single week, you can have that for just another pound a week. And that's a 75% saving on the price you'll pay at the newsagents. To get this great offer, go to www.theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S. Tell them I sent you and you'll get your free copy of Alistair Campbell's Diary 2023 delivered to you in time for Christmas. Tell them Matt sent you. I like it. (laughs) Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So welcome back, folks. Um, and I'm delighted to say we are joined by uh, Jason Pack, the uh, host of the Disorder podcast, the fabulous Disorder podcast. Excellent podcast. We have been listening to it uh, regularly. It's very, very impressive. And we will talk about that some more. And Jason, we can talk about a million things, but you're an expert on Middle East, on Libya, on the kind of the fragmentation of nationhood and how people are constantly now being reduced to internecine battles within themselves without making much progress in the world. Matt, I know you're... Well, I was just, I mean, following that, really. Yeah. Um, it's great to have you, Jason. And I, I was fascinated by the article. And I wonder if you could talk to our listeners a bit about how Qatar is the the pathway, offers a potential pathway to peace. Well, thank you for the kind framing. When I look at the discourse, both in the U.S., and here in England, I see a focus on the hyper short term. How do we get the hostages back? How do we get more aid in? Can we have a ceasefire or not? And then the hyper long term. Oh, what does a two state solution look like? What is one state? And unfortunately, the reality is we can't jump from the hyper short term to the hyper long term. And no one is discussing the middle term. So my proposal, Matt and Matt, is that we need to have a regional coalition, call it a pan-Arab condominium that would step in to administer Gaza the day after. And it seems very clear to me that the Netanyahu government has no plan for this war. They, they don't even know how to eliminate Hamas, which is their stated aim. And they certainly don't know what the metric of are they winning or losing the war. Part of the reason is that they have no end goal that they're going for. Oh, it's going to be an indefinite Israeli occupation. And then the American solution oh, well, the PA is going to be resurrected and Abu Mazen will somehow be legitimate and he's going to govern Gaza. Those things don't make any sense. So there's, you can't get out of this war unless there is someone who's going to be governing Gaza the day after. And? The swing state here is, is Qatar because I visualize world politics in the post-2011 era as a struggle between orderers and disorderers and not crucially between autocrats and Democrats. The Qataris are a swing power here. They work sometimes with disorders like Iran and Hamas, but they're also rooted in the global order, and they're the ones arranging the hostage swaps. And if they really want to, you know, make sure that Hamas has no safe haven and can't get funds, and that 
Gazans can have fresh brand new schools and scholarships to study in Europe and all that. It's the Qataris who can be the swing player. And why don't we actually use this as a moment to get all of the other regional actors who are traditionally anti-Qatar, like Egypt, the UAE, and Saudi, working with the Qataris against Iran. In other words, to isolate the disorderers and avoid exactly the fragmentation on the regional level, which we've seen you know, playing out in so many spheres. It's fascinating because I remember when the first podcast we did after October the 7th, one of the things we discussed was who runs Gaza after, whenever after is, and however one defines after. And I think we kind of came up with UN or a kind of Bosnia kind of protectorate. But actually, that sounds a, a better and more plausible. Um, I'm very interested in who and how it might come about. But another question related to that I wanted to ask was, Putin going to the UAE is, you know, was quite a bold move. And where you think Putin stands now in relation to the region, um, because obviously Russia's traditionally, at least in recent decades, been at least affected a kind of neutrality. But now it seems to be aligning itself more with the global south. And what, what do you think Putin's strategy is there? You're right in saying that Russia has traditionally been able to work with both Israel and the Arabs. I wouldn't say that there's a neutrality. The Russians have been internal powers in the Middle East since 2011. They are in Syria. They essentially run Syria. So they're in this axis of disorderers. And one of the things that they've been able to do since 2011, particularly aided by the Trump term in America, is to work with the hardline anti-Muslim Brotherhood grouping. And this is the UAE and Sisi's Egypt against Morsi, and the Saudis. And so, for example, they provide arms to the same countries that the U.S. provides arms to. It's quite bizarre looked at from a Clinton-era kind of perspective. And so that Trump worked with the Russians in Europe also allowed him to work with the UAE and Saudi and the Russians in the Middle East. He was fully bought into the Russian regional vision of a axis of strongman anti-Muslim Brotherhood autocrats. And that's what allowed the blockade against Qatar from 2017 to January 2021, which was supported by Kushner and his ties with the Emiratis. Um, Biden has tried to rebalance, but he hasn't presented an alternate vision because we still have this domestic fissure within the West between those who support the Emiratis and those who support the Qataris. And I think that that has, one, led to the rise of neopopulism in Israel, where Netanyahu and his right-wing, you know, nutcase settlers are, are in control and work with the Emiratis, um, but also an inability to get our regional allies all on the same page. A feature of the global enduring disorder, which I unpack in my disorder program, is that our allies, meaning the West's allies, are themselves bifurcated. In other words, we're allies with Turkey, but Turkey fights against Egypt. We're allies with Qatar. We have our El Udayid air base there. And we're allies with the Emirates, but then they are fighting each other. If we let this persist, these outrages are going to continue and you're going to see things similarly to this. So we need to use this as a moment. And I see the Qataris as that swing player. Explain to me the background between the disjunction between the Qataris and the Emiratis. Sure. Very difficult to do um, in a short format, but briefly, briefly put... Obviously, Britain had a series of treaties in the 19th century with these different sheikhs. The Trucal states, which became the UAE, went on one trajectory, and they have a non-Wahhabi Islam. 
the Qataris have the same kind of Wahhabism, which comes from Saudi Arabia, and they didn't hit oil early. They discovered their gas much later. They're right. like the insurgent power. Their foreign ministry is less developed. They don't have a Dubai-like commercial spirit. Their Islam is a little bit more conservative. Right. And they've been this insurgent power. And under the emir's father, so the current emir's father who ruled until 2013, yeah. he conducted a lot of his regional politics through the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. And he thought that Sunni Islamism was a way to undermine the Emiratis and the Saudis. And it's relevant that the Saudis have tried, for example, to overthrow different emirs in Qatar. So there's like a complicated relationship here. And during the blockade, the Saudis actually tried to turn Qatar into an island, like to literally cut it off and make a moat around it so that it was stuck in the Persian Gulf. So there's these different internecine yeah. feuds that as Britain left the Gulf, you know, with... Uh, uh, Harold Macmillan's East of Suez speech, you've had this feud going on and on and on and on and on. And unfortunately, Trump chose one side. He chose the Emirati side, having to do with Jared Kushner, who took billions of dollars from the Emiratis for 666 Fifth Avenue. Again, really, really long story short, Biden should be rebalancing here right. to get these guys all on the same page against Iran. But he hasn't really done that. And this is the moment because the Qataris have proved to us only they can deliver the hostages. And it's important to back up. Egypt is traditionally the mediator between Hamas yes. and the Israelis. Egypt is the one with the deep intelligence services. Egypt is a country that has 90 million people. It's not like Qatar. There's less than 400,000 Qataris. But the Egyptians, they don't want to govern Gaza. They want to wash their hands of the whole thing. They're really threatened by the Muslim Brotherhood. They're not a swing player anymore. They rely on the Saudis and Emiratis for fundings. The Qataris have the money and the inclination to cut a regional image. You know, the way that they buy football clubs in this country yeah. or, or you know, or, World Cup. Yeah, host a World Cup. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I, I need to say to them, hey, you want to pretend that you're a medium power? Well, great. Put on your big boy pants, yeah. step up to the global table and do something to be orderers. Right. right. Speaking of the, the big the big table, um, it, we're recording this on Thursday and Last night, uh, Antonio Guterres, the UN General, Secretary General, in, in invoked Article 99 of the Charter, i.e. telling the Security Council this is a serious crisis, which is, I think, very rarely invoked. How do you how do you rate the UN's performance in this, <laughs> if at all, Jason? I mean, I'm genuinely interested because the UN has to work, doesn't it? Um, it needs to uh, work in some way. What is the meaning of the word has, Matt? Um, <laughs> well, I, yes, Article 99 hasn't been invoked since the 1980s. Right. Uh, I, I propose regional solutions because the UN is completely moribund to my mind. Keep in mind that the Russians can just veto whatever is or is not right. proposed. We need to propose something alternative to what the UN does. I think that Guterres has no cut through either leverage over Israel or America, nor moral standing with the global south and the regional players. It's a complete joke. He may be well-intentioned, and obviously we're seeing a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. And the key thing is that he's going to the short-termism, oh, we should have a ceasefire. Great. What do you propose when there is the ceasefire and the Israelis withdraw and Hamas is neither defeated and there are no governance things in place. It's classical enduring disorder. Do you know what I mean? That one side is bickering with the other and yet they propose nothing. 
I mean, it's, it's this sort of slightly worrying landscape. And now we really are stepping back of, of disaggregation. You know, obviously, on the podcast, we talk a lot about Britain's no longer membership of the EU. Um, we're talking about the UN uh, really not stepping up to the plate. We have the prospect of a, a second Trump term, which would be a mortal danger to NATO. I mean, are you is the subtext or perhaps the text of what you're saying, Jason, that actually we've got to rely less on these massive supranational organizations and think more regionally. I'd like supranational organizations to work. I'm a big believer in NATO and the EU. Mm. They don't have a role in governing Gaza. It is interesting that Ehud Olmert wrote an article in Haaretz, and he's the former Israeli prime minister from the kind of centrist Likud perspective. And he said, well, what if we had NATO peacekeepers? Knowing that the UN is totally can't function. I mean, look at we'll how the UN has, quote unquote, administered Libya or tried to bring about elections in Libya. So he knows that the UN can't work. So he said, well, what about NATO? The problem is that why would some white Christian NATO be welcomed in in Gaza? Mm. You know, they, they won't be. They're seen as an appendage to Israeli power, you know, and the Americans have managed to botch this because although they are behind closed doors pushing Netanyahu, like, please bomb less, please do mm. other things publicly they haven't differentiated themselves sufficiently from the Israelis in the eyes of the region. So I think we need a regional solution. But I believe in international institutions. I mean, I have a joke here. I I never met a domain that I don't want an international regulation for. And that's my kind of, you know, big state international liberalism. My problems are with how the regulations are implemented or how the institutions play out. But I want to regulate climate change and governance of Gaza and and tax havens and all of it with very, very supranational solutions. You invoked a, a Bedouin saying, which I, you said it was a famous Bedouin saying. I'd never heard it before, but I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was absolutely wonderful and apposite for, I mean, not just what's going on in the Middle East, but you could see layers of it everywhere. And the, the saying is that it's me against my brother, my brother and I against my cousin. And my brother, my cousin and I against the outsider. And so it's a way of describing layers of almost institutionalized paranoia and 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 self-interest against actually a longer term self-interest where the truth is we all make progress if we can all work in a in a greater state of harmony. We seem to have gone massively backwards in quite a short period of time. Correct. Why? Oh my, I wish I knew. But I, 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 I would say that when I first lived in the Middle East, I lived in Syria in 2003, I saw that playing out between different communities, between Alawites and Druze and this town and that town. But I never thought it would be us in the West. And now this proverb applies to us. You can't get the British and Americans to have shared foreign policy towards Libya. You need something as catastrophic as Ukraine to get the Americans and the Brits, in theory, the two closest allies to be on the same page. We can't agree on the same carbon targets. Yeah. You can't get even Sweden and Denmark, you know, when the Svenska Demokraten are in, to agree on the similar relationship to the EU. So we've become like the, the, the brother and the cousin Bedouins fighting and squabbling yeah. amongst ourselves, which shows you the absurdity of Brexit, which is that Britain has 98% the same interests yeah. as its continental partners. Yes. So... Why have we gotten here? I postulate that we're in this thing called the enduring disorder. The enduring disorder has multiple causations. One is the withdrawal of American hegemony, that America has relatively less power. And since the failure, 
catastrophically of the Iraq war, we have less of a desire for global leadership. And this wasn't caused by Trump. It predates Trump. Obama himself wanted to do less global leadership and probably with good reason, right? So there's the long-term withdrawal of American hegemony, but unfortunately it has been withdrawn simultaneously with American convening power. Because I think it'd be great if we're less of global hegemon. That's great. You know, the Europeans should do more and we can work with our other allies, but we should still have a convening power. The problem is we've withdrawn some of that convening power. So that's that's one point. Then, you know, just cyber and misinformation and the, the atomized media landscape, and you know, you can't make a living as a journalist anymore, and there's no neutral facts. Where are the neutral facts? It used to be, you know, Dan Rather told you the facts, or the BBC, and then a right-meaning Tory and a centrist-meaning Labour guy, they debated how to solve it, but they didn't disagree about the fact. Right. Now our debates are like, Obama's a Kenyan. Right. Or is he, is he, is he a Kenyan? Yeah. Is he American? There's, there's no neutral facts. I mean, if you watch Al Jazeera, and you hear about the genocide in Palestine, and then you listen to, for example, CNN about you know, what the humanitarian thinks that were suffered on October 7th, mm. they are just not even having similar conversations. No, no so one can politics agree is in facts. a quantum state of multiple realities. It's just very, very troubling. Um, that, as you say, you, you can't have a debate about around an agreed set of facts at all anymore. The it's, it's enough of a job to keep the facts there and you know fact checking is is a a growing industry but it shouldn't have to be mm. correct and the interesting thing about my proposals to connect the cuttery led pan-arab condominium for post-war gaza to this issue of neutral facts i have a colleague jonathan shanzer at the foundation for defense of democracies in the u.s he's an important former treasury department official he works with trumpian and anti-trumpian republicans I've always considered him too pro-UAE. I wrote my piece, I proposed it, and he's like, you can't be serious, you're in bed with the Qatari lobby. And then I see he's written in the New York Post, we should be sanctioning the Qataris and right. blaming them mm. for the attack and not working with them to get the hostages. So he's taken so aside, and the, you're on the other side. The That's, interesting yeah, yeah. thing here is, yeah. we both want to get the hostages, we yeah. both want to have, you know, Israel living at peace with the Palestinian state. Yeah. But the state of things is that despite the fact that he knows Arabic and Hebrew, and I know Arabic and Hebrew, we're in this partisan thing that he's a Republican and I'm a Democrat, and therefore my solution is too pro Qatari and his is too pro Emirati, and we can't even discuss it. So in instant it, dialectic. You put it into, mm. in, I thought it, you put it brilliantly. You said it's, we're, we're now living it, post 2016 in the tribalization of politics. And you define that as an inability of factions to put aside feuds to focus on shared interests. Correct. And this was the key sentence, until forced to by existential threats. And that's where we are now seeing, I think, some existential threats bubbling up in the Middle East, in Ukraine, in the climate, yeah. uh, all sorts of things that are, are, are real fundamental challenges that you have to focus on. It's obviously going to get worse before it gets better. But will it get, is there, is there a kind of better place that we'll get to on the other side sooner than later, do you think? I have no crystal ball, probably less ability to see into one than you guys with a little bit greater experience. But I'm afraid it's going to have to get a lot worse until it clarifies minds. So we have an identitarian politics about this Israel-Palestine thing. If you're a Christian Zionist or even a a secular Jew, you're going to respond to some people's pain and suffering in one way. If you're on the global left and the underprivileged and whatever you're responding in one way, look at the two opposing demonstrations. 
our interest is in tamping this down so that the disorderers, Russia and Iran, don't win. But they've already won. Militarily, Hamas has already won. It's, 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 it was over before the Israelis even overreacted because one, it was so obvious that with Netanyahu in power, they would overreact. But what we in the West should in theory have as an interest is making sure that this war doesn't continue, that there are off-ramps, but we're, we're, we're not doing that. And it's or not, escalate. Oh, Yeah. I mean, it may easily escalate, but I I think that that's just one microcosm. We're not winning in Ukraine. And that's very, very sad. That hurts me even even more because we could have probably won if we had just gotten Zelensky the weapons sooner. Like, you know, not for this summer offensive, but for the previous summer offensive. And it's like, you're kidding me. They just didn't give it to them on time. And that's why we're not going to win. Yeah. Uh, and now Congress is withholding funds in the States for Ukraine. So, you know, that trend is heading downwards. Yeah, I mean, it's going to get worse. I mean, we, we don't want to devolve into a full out discussion about 2024 because it's somehow whenever mm. you discuss this, it gets to, well, what's going to happen in 2024? <laughs> uh, I think that people are so selfish, whether it's their... I was offended. I need a safe space. We can't talk about it this way to make the difficult choices. I thought you guys were a little unfair on Kissinger in last week's pod. Mm-hmm. And you know, he probably was a war criminal. I agree with that. But he made hard decisions and he got the Israelis to compromise. He's actually the only international statesman who did a successful shuttle diplomacy that culminated in a lasting peace agreement. Oh, we did say that, I think. We, we, did. we did. No, 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 but you were really hard on him, I, w- <laughs> I would argue. And and you kind of poo-pooed realpolitik because it is about making people make hard choices. Yeah. And Blinken seems like a nice enough guy, but I don't think that he's really ready to make people make hard choices. No, I agree with that. I think that's where, where do you Where are you on the a second Trump term is inevitable? Oh, no. Oh, think I think so. he's an underdog. Yeah. You the still prop- think he's an underdog? Oh, yeah. He's got 30 to 40%. I would prefer if it wasn't Biden who was opposing him. Right. And if it was Biden opposing him, I would really prefer if it wasn't a Kamala VP choice. Like if he just took Buttigieg to go on our Maltese dynamics here, I think he'd be in a great position. Run with the Maltese stallion in the number two position. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to show a little bit of youth and a little bit of dynamism, right? Yeah. However, he was a dog against Clinton. A few things had to fall from not just the Russian influence, but the way in which the email gate exactly played out, the way in which the Access Hollywood tape was just far enough away from the election. I think that you really need to think about these things like sports. Frequently, an underdog wins. You know, the the shot from the favorite hits the post. It doesn't score. Yeah. And then what do you know? There was a like a free kick in the corner and it hit someone's elbow. And you know, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So I'm not comfortable in a situation where Trump is a 30 to 40% to win the election because the existential nature of what that can do to the planet that I care a lot about, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. He needs to be below 10%. So we need to be more bringing our A game. And the problem is that although Biden is handling behind closed doors both Ukraine and Israel-Palestine very, very well, he has extremely little levers because he doesn't control Congress. He can't really get the funding to the Ukrainians. It wasn't really his fault that more arms were not given to the Ukrainians earlier. And Netanyahu is a psychopath who hates Biden. So if Biden had come out more and been like, hey, you can't be doing this bombing campaign. Netanyahu would have gone behind his back, used particularly Republican Jews against him. Mm. He's completely pinned in. Yeah. And I think that he means well, 
but that might not be enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably won't. <laughs> I don't think it will. Well, listen, thank we you. all mean well, and thank you for coming in. I hope that's shed some light on, on a, a massively complex uh, situation, which really won't has, be solved yeah. anytime soon. And and will you come back, please? Please to come help back and, oh. and help us. God, you, have, 2024. you have a lot of nice Korean and Japanese restaurants just around here. <laughs> so if you, if you record around lunchtime, I think you Perfect. could lure me oh, Okay, well, that's the way to lure you. I'd love to have you guys both on the Disorder Pod because what yeah. we can draw out Absolutely. is how Britain post-Brexit yes. is a microcosm for exactly the global enduring disorder. You know, how the mighty have fallen. Regrettably so, yes. You, yeah. you see all of the things from tax havens to reversals on climate change to inabilities. And one of the things I admired Britain in its glory days is the ability for labor, liberal, lib Dems, and the Tories to work together yeah. on certain kinds of foreign policy issues, that's completely gone. Yeah. So I think having you guys on will be a great way to connect our listenerships. Super. We will definitely do that. So tune into the Disorder podcast in the same places you find the two mats, which is everywhere you find your podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Jason, thank for coming you, Jason. And we'll see you I'll again see you next time. Thank you, mate. Ciao, ciao. Thanks. So thanks again to Jason. Matt, what didn't we have time to talk about this week? Well, we uh, said goodbye to Benjamin Zephaniah. We did. Uh, age 65, which is very sad. Um, I remember buying the Dread Affair yeah. Think, which I think is second collection in the mid '80s, and just he was such a an incredibly important cultural presence, and uh, it's quite shocking, isn't it? it I, I obviously he don't he'd been diagnosed eight weeks only ago, eight weeks ago with a so, brain tumor. And he's only sixty five, so it's a really, really, really sad. Can I do something unusual and maybe Please. test people's patience? But can I read a Benjamin Zephaniah? I would poem? love that. I would love that because I think it's the most apposite poem that could possibly be today, and Go it's called it. "The British." Take some picked. Celts and Cilias and let them settle, then overrun them with Roman conquerors. Remove the Romans after approximately 400 years, add lots of Norman French to some Angles, Saxons, Jutes and Vikings, then stir vigorously. Mix some hot Chileans, cool Jamaicans, Dominicans, Trinidadians, Bayesians with some Ethiopians, Chinese, Vietnamese and Sudanese. Then take a blend of Somalians, Sri Lankans, Nigerians and Pakistanis. Combine them with some Guyanese and turn up the heat. Sprinkle some fresh Indians, Malaysians, Bosnians, Iraqis and Bangladeshis together with some Afghans, Spanish, Turkish, Kurdish, Japanese and Palestinians. Then add to the melting pot. Leave the ingredients to simmer. As they mix and blend, allow their languages to flourish, binding them together with English. Allow time to cool. Add some unity, understanding and respect for the future. Serve with justice and enjoy. Note. All the ingredients are equally important. Treating one ingredient better than another will leave a bitter, unpleasant taste. Warning, an unequal spread of justice will damage the people and cause pain. Give justice and equality to all. Fantastic. Rest in peace, Benjamin Zephaniah. Rest in peace. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As ever, get your questions in and any feedback to the two mats at tnepublishing.com. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S at tnepublishing.com or if you listen on Spotify you can message us there that's exactly what Danny did who says should there be a Brexit inquiry well we might answer that question in our Q&A on Sunday and don't forget our special Christmas deal where you can get a copy of Alistair Campbell's Fantastic Diaries 2023 by subscribing to the New European from as little as a pound a week And in doing so, you will be supporting our independent journalism against the right-wing nationalism that is causing all of this trouble these days. Head to 
theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S. And there is a link in the show notes. Thanks to our producer, Ollie Peart at Rethink Audio, assisted by Matt Hill. And until next week... It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.